it is an interesting uh, fact that our paths have crossed several times, and we didn't really recognize it at the time, but all those things are very interesting. Let me pray again, okay? Our Father, we, we all need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And since I'm the one who is uh, sharing from the word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. I pray that ultimately you will speak to all of us. It would be your word, which is clearest of all, and that Jesus would be exalted. Thank you for the worship time. Have we, we have remembered him and his cross and the salvation that you have given so freely through him and the righteousness we have through him. That is our great hope, the righteousness of God, credited to us because of his infinite love, because of your infinite mercy. We thank you and pray that this would do us good, but that you would be pleased and honored through the declaration of your word and your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do any of you know what the ISS is? Do you know what that stands for? International Space Station, yes. Do any of you keep up with that? The time is now 11.21. Ten minutes ago, it went over, the top, over our heads. No one would have noticed it because it's daylight, but last night, Becky and I went with our... Uh, the, the, with our Sunday school class from the church that we we're involved in, Calvary Baptist Church. And while we were there, I happened to check my, my app, because I keep an app, because we, like keep, keep, we like to watch the International Space Station. If it passes over and we can see it, we wave. And I'm, it's only 200 miles high, traveling at a speed of 17,000 miles an hour, so I'm sure they see us and wave. And when we're not there, I'm sure they go, where are the Feethys? It's interesting. The International Space Station passes over, frequently passes over, our, over the Earth, circles the Earth every 90 minutes, roughly. Sometimes you can see it. We saw it last night when we were at the, at, at the corn maze with our Sunday school class. We saw it the night before, I believe it was, when it passed directly over our heads in the parking lot of the apartment complex where we live. And we could see it very clearly, and we waved to them. It's interesting, though, that I think of it every, well, I'll go for months sometimes without thinking, or I look at my phone and go, no visible sightings for the next two weeks. Oh, well. And then, and then I forget about it. I may, we, don't, we may not watch it for three or four months. But it's still fascinating to think this, somebody's up there. That would have been my, my spiritual life before I came to know Christ as a college student at 21 years old. I thought about God from time to time, occasionally, when things got bad or I needed something, <laughs> I asked for God's help or God's gift or something like that. But for the most part, I thought very little about him. He's like the International Space Station, something I was conscious of from time to time. Then at 21 years old, someone shared the gospel with me. And by that time, God had gotten my attention. I grew up in church. You know, sitting in the pew and thinking what a good boy I was because my parents and my grandparents said so and my teachers often said so, though why I don't know, maybe because I was a decent student and minded at least part of the time, but I thought I was a good guy. But those college years and being swept up in the, the, 
that, that, that youth culture and the drug culture and partying, everything else at the University of Tennessee, God used that to show me I was not a good guy, that I was, something was desperately wrong in me, despite my resolution to do better and try harder and everything else. Someone shared the gospel with me during Christmas vacation in 1973, and I understood the gospel that Jesus had died for me, that he had paid for my sin, and that I was a sinner, that I had offended God in countless ways, and the only hope of forgiveness in heaven was Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and I needed to trust in him, and I did that. Uh, there at the Chattanooga News Free Press, where I was working as a job just during the Christmas vacation, and my life changed and my world changed and my relationship to God changed. And no longer was he the international space station, something or someone that I thought about from time to time. I thought, yeah, somebody's up there. Pretty cool. Instead, he became the sun. Just like the sun is the center of our galaxy, our solar system. Solar system. And the earth revolves around it. And the sun, by its light and by its heat, makes life possible and brings light out of the darkness and it keeps the earth in its orbit, God became the center of my life. And by his grace, that continues now. Not that I always have it right, not that I always live in the way I should, but that's my aim. He is the center because of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about the joy of a God-centered life, and I want to direct our attention to Psalm 16, because I think this illustrates from David, this is a Psalm of David, he was a man with a heart for God, a man after God's own heart. And uh, we see here, oh, there's, there's, there's such wealth, and there's so much that's involved in living a God-centered life, but I see three components of a God, uh, four, four components of a God-centered life that we can take great comfort from that ought to challenge us. And remembering these things, I help keeps us in a God-centered way, helps us to continue to be a conscious of and dependent on him who is our very life. God made known through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read the entire psalm. I'm so used to using the New International. Probably many of you are using the ESV, um, but I'm so accustomed to the NIV. I will read that and teach from that, but I will refer from time to time to some of the things that the ESV and other translations say. Psalm 16, a miktam, some sort of a song, psalm, prayer of David. Keep me safe or preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I'll not pour out their libations of blood or take their names on my lips. Lord, you are my portion, or as the NIV says, you have assigned me my portion in my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in delightful places or in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. For Four characteristics of God, four components to our relationship to God when he is at the center of our lives, when we know Christ by faith and when we are seeking him and trusting in him and living a life of abiding in him and depending on him. Four characteristics of our relationship with God. First of all, God is my protector when he is the center of my life. He is my protector. David prays, keep me safe, O Lord, or preserve me. For in you I take refuge. David refers to God as his refuge, his source of protection. Knowing the Lord, knowing that God saw him, was watching over him, caring for him. That the infinite God who knows everything, whose eyes are on the evil and the good, Knowing that, knowing that God and depending on him and having a relationship with him, for David meant that the Lord was his refuge and therefore he was safe, even when there was danger. Some of the Psalms you read, it's all about what he is going through. This one only refers briefly to the fact that David, wherever was he was in life, I, I don't know whether it was this when he was still a shepherd, when he was on the run from Saul, or after he had become king, or when his own son Absalom rebelled against him and sought to kill him. We don't know when this happened, but he says this simply, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. A walled city couldn't make David more secure than having God as his refuge. A mighty army to fight with him couldn't make him more secure than having God as his refuge. A mountain cave, a hideaway couldn't keep him safe like knowing that the Lord was his refuge, his strength, his help. David later said, God is our refuge and strength in Psalm 46, a very present help or an ever-present help in trouble. Look at verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. The Lord was near. David had an awareness that though God is invisible and he is everywhere, David could say accurately as we can, God is at my right hand. In fact, we can say something he couldn't say. God lives in me by his Holy Spirit. Jesus said before he was, the night before he was crucified, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he said before he was ascended to heaven, I am with you always to the very end of the age. God himself was near David. God himself is near to us. David would, would say at one point in his life as he was ready to go out to do battle against Goliath, the Lord delivered me out of the from the lion and the bear, and that the Lord, the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. When, the, when King Saul compared David to Goliath, he said, you can't go and fight against him. He's experienced. He's bigger than you are. David said, the Lord has been my help in the past. He will be my help in this situation. David lived with an awareness that God was near. 
God was his fortress, his refuge. God was his source of safety. I'm reminded and I remind you as well to consider what are we trusting in to keep us safe? What are we depending on in uncertain times? Who will we count on to keep us safe? What will we count on? We all need physical protection. I'm so aware of that. A good friend, you may have met Dave Coffey when you were there, one of the deacons at Calvary. He was a professor at UT. Dave is a dear brother and has been there. You know, I've known him since I was a college student. The other day, he just, in a moment of inattention, pulled out in front of a car. The car collided with his. Thankfully, uh, he was only bruised as the uh, airbag on the side, there the side door came out and he was, he was just bruised up. He said, I don't know what happened, just. I saw the car way down the street. I pulled and just missed something. Just a reminder how we need the Lord, as the psalm says, we, I need thee every hour. We need the Lord to protect us, but not just physical protection for us and for our loved ones, for our family, for our church. We need spiritual protection. You made reference to the, the, our adversary, the devil, always being prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We need spiritual protection. We need the Lord to guard us and guide us and help us. I would suggest a, a very simple prayer in light of the fact that God is our protector. To pray this. Not just occasionally, but something like this regularly. Like David said, Lord, keep me safe. Keep me safe. But along with that, keep me close to you. As David would say, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. There is a spiritual centrifugal force where we are spinning around that planet, or I mean that, soul, that sun the Lord God, and yet there's something, there's a force which tends to fling us out into the darkness, and we need the Lord to keep us close. There's a wonderful hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, written by Robert Robinson, and in that he says this line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We need the Lord to keep us safe and keep us close. I think we ought to pray that, ask that. Lord, keep me safe. Keep me close. Keep my children safe, but keep them close. Keep my family. Keep this church. Keep these brothers and sisters safe, but keep us close to you. God is our protector. In Psalm 16, you also see that God is my provider when he is the center of life, when we are depending on Jesus Christ, trusting in him. It says in verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Nothing compared to the value of of having God as his Savior, of having God as his refuge, of having the Lord as his shepherd. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul would say, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and may be found in him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, and so to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Jesus Christ was of infinite value to Paul. Knowing the Lord God was of infinite value to David. Knowing Christ for you and for me is the greatest treasure, the greatest possible blessing. David said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. There were other good things that God had done for him. In verse 5, he goes on to talk more about that, uh, the, 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 the God's provision. And again, there are different ways of translating this. I tried to dig a little deeper, but most translations say, Lord, you are my portion in my cup. The New International says, God has, the Lord has assigned me my portion. Literally, it's the Lord is the portion of my portion. Kind of like one commentator says, it's like a superlative, like the holy of holies, the most holy place, the portion of my portion, the greatest possible blessing is the Lord himself. But then he says, you have made my lot secure. Verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. The way the nation of Israel, when they conquered the land, divided that land up is they, they cast lots. In other words, they use something, some device, sort of like rolling dice, but not quite. But it was sort of a, almost like an accidental thing, how it turned out. But they, did, they didn't believe that the casting of lots for the division of the land into the different tribes and the different families, that was no accident. It took humanity, it took people out of the equation so that no one could say, ah, Moses and Aaron, of course, Moses and Aaron, I guess they did divide the lot before they entered the lot. But Joshua, anyway, there was no accusation that they had cooked the books, that they had given somebody that they knew an advantage. They kind of cast these lots saying, God, would you guide as, these, as this land is d divided, would you be the one who makes the decision who gets what inheritance? It was this awareness. What I have, what I've received in my inheritance, my land, my lot, my apportioned land, is from God. And David says this, verse 6, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a delightful inheritance. David would say, God's provision for me, more than just the land that he's given me, but his, my station in life, what he's called me to, what he's done in my life. I'm sure he could think of his family and the opportunity he had had to fight against Goliath and how God had blessed him with honor in the nation, and eventually made him king. All these things were a gift of God. It was a delightful thing, but God had also given him suffering. He had spent years running from Saul, who was king, who was jealous of David. He had had to live out in the wild for year after year and had a number of near-death experiences because of the attacks and the conspiracies of Paul and those who supported, I mean, Saul and those who supported him. But David could say of both the difficult and the beautiful, God has been good, not just good in how he has dealt with me, the life that he has appointed for me. Indeed, he says, I have a delightful inheritance. God has been so good in how he has dealt with me. 
Interesting that sometime later the Apostle Paul would write some of the most beautiful epistles, letters, from prison. Talking about the glory of Christ, he would say in Philippians 1, I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, and that most of the brothers trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God. Paul was able to say, I'm in prison and I may die, or I may be delivered. To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His provision from God, Paul's, was to know Christ. He said, that is of infinite value. My inheritance is delightful to me. I think it's a temptation to compare what God has given to us to what God may have given to other people. Why can't I have that job? Why can't I have those finances? Why can't I have that house? Why can't I have that life? And I think that we ought to remember that God's inheritance to us, to know Christ, to have brothers and sisters, there's a reference to the saints, how David treasured them. God has been good to you, my fellow Christians. He's been good to me. And rather than spend time wondering why we have to endure certain troubles or why we don't get certain blessings or advantage that God has chosen to give to others, we ought to be thankful. The Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in chapter 1. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He prayed for believers that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they might see what God had given them, what God had promised them in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, not only in this life but in the life to come. God is our provider, and I think that at the end of each of these points, I want to give you a suggested prayer. Maybe you'll write it down or put it in your own words. But because God is my provider, because God is your provider, I think we ought to say to the Lord, Lord, help me see your provision and make me thankful. Help me see your provision, like Ephesians 3, where Paul prayed that they might comprehend, they might see it. I'm sorry, that was Ephesians 1. And... Uh, then that we would be thankful for what God has given to us rather than worry about why he hasn't given what he's given to someone else. God himself is our portion. We know him and we know Christ. Nothing compares to that. But he has also said, he who is, uh, God who has given us Christ, how much more will he give us all things in him? A third thing here in Psalm 16 that David reminds us about in relation to the Lord when we have a God-centered life. That is, God is my teacher. God is my teacher. Verse 7, the apostle, uh, not the apostle, sorry, David says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my mind instructs me. God is our teacher. When Jesus is Lord, 
we can be assured that he is the one who speaks to us, who leads us. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He is the good shepherd who guides his sheep. We need wisdom every day. We need the Lord to prompt us to recognize the opportunities for service and for witness that he sets before us. We need peace when we are confused or overwhelmed. We need guidance when dealing with problems, when the needs or situations that we're in are too big or too complicated for us to handle. Sometimes we need correction when we are going astray, when we're thinking wrong about something. I had one of those experiences yesterday, yesterday afternoon where I thought about something that had happened in the past and began to get a little irritated about it. And just this thought, you ever have those times where it just, what are you thinking like that for? Now, you, Lord, have just reminded me. <laughs> the Lord counsels us. That's a, that's a wonderful, that, that word counsel, it's like to, to have someone and say, let me talk to you a second here. Here's what you're dealing with. Here's what you're going through. Let me, let me give, give you some advice or give you some guidance in this situation. David said, I praise the Lord who counsels me. And even at night, my heart instructs me. It's interesting, even at night, Night is where I'm most likely to have fear come in and seem come in like a flood. And in the morning when, it, when it's light again, I go, ah, we'll deal with that. But at night, in the middle of the night, something happens. And I think that darkness and just being half awake gives the devil an opportunity to put fears and concerns and it, it just the things seem overwhelming. But time and time again, because... Because of reading the scripture, because of hearing the word, so often this, I, I'm able to answer those attacks, those fears, with God's truth. God is our teacher. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. and They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. The Lord himself counsels us and brings to our mind those things that we have heard and read from the scripture. Just a, a, just a little thought about putting God's word in our minds and hearts. We ought to continue to make a habit of that. You're here. I trust that you are. To read the scripture and hear the word. Don't let yourself drift from that. So often God's word is what he uses to pull us back and to instruct us, even to bring it to mind in the middle of the night. There are days when I have a quiet time and I read the scripture and I, I feel like I get something from the Lord. You know what I'm talking about, where I get some, or read something and go, boy, that's something that'll stick with me all through the day and I'll meditate on it. It's got relevance to my present situation. But there are times when I kind of go, all right, well, that didn't have a whole lot to say to me, but. It's kind of like planting a garden. If you go out, plant your, you, you, okay, it's a little bit, little bit of way in the spring. You go out, you, get the, you cultivate your garden. We don't do that because we don't have a garden. We live in an apartment. But we've done it in the past. You go out, you get the soil ready, you put the seeds in the ground, and you come in, and, and I say to Becky, because she's the one that did more of the gardening, so did you get anything out of your gardening today? No, I didn't get anything out of it. Nothing. What? You're planting seeds. You'll get something out of it later. 
And there are times when having a quiet time, hearing the word is like that. You are planting seeds. You are hearing, and that will be on deposit in your life, and it will come back later to feed your soul. So keep on. Pray that God would speak to you day after day. But remember, if you don't get anything that particularly strikes you, you're planting seed. It'll, it'll bear fruit in God's time. God is our teacher. Therefore, I think we ought to pray, Lord, help me listen and obey. Help me listen and obey. Since God is our teacher, help me listen and obey. A fourth point. God is our first, our protector. God is our provider. God is our teacher. When he is the center of our lives. And finally, God is our hope. God is our hope. Verses 9 through 11. He talks about the Lord being at his right hand in verse 8. And then in verse 9, he says, Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, or my whole being rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The Lord was David's hope. The Lord made him secure. Not only in through whatever he was going through that made him pray, keep me safe, O oh Lord. You, I, in you I take refuge. For David, he knew he was secure because the Lord was near. God would not abandon him to death. Apparently, he had this confidence from God that, that though he was going through whatever trial he was going through, at least for a season longer, God was going to keep him alive. But he's talking about more than just deliverance from death in the present situation. He's talking about what happened after death. Because, verse 10, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David said, I think he was saying, I'm going to enjoy fellowship with you as long as I live, but longer than that. I will leave this life, but the pleasure of knowing you, of having fellowship with you, is going to last forever because I put my trust in you, and because there is life after death. And I'm confident that the grave is, does not win, that the grave will not be my final resting place, but that I will be with you in your presence. I'm living in your presence now. You are at my right hand, but I'm going to be in your presence for all eternity because you are the eternal God. That is our help. I'm sorry, that is our hope. That is our confidence. That's our longing. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with God now. He is our Savior. He is our King. We have fellowship with God the Father. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, always with us. 
God is with us now. But the grave will not be our eternal home. Death does not win. Jesus is the victor. He promised. He guarantees it. John chapter 14, he said, In my Father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. He promised for those that have trusted in him that there is a home in heaven with him. He not only promised it, he proved it was true because he himself rose from the dead. He died on the cross in our place for our sins. He was buried, laid in a cold tomb with a stone rolled over it and soldiers to guard it to keep his body in keep anybody that wanted to steal the body out. But Jesus Christ rose again on the third day. He triumphed over death. He triumphed over the grave. He triumphed over sin. He triumphed over Satan. And he said that we too will live. He will raise us with him one day. We will either depart and be with Christ or he will return with with the shout of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But one way or other, all who have trusted in Christ will be with him forever. God is our hope. The promises of God, the Son of God is our hope for victory, for life eternal. I think the prayer that we ought to pray in light of that reality is this. Lord, be with me through life and take me to heaven for Jesus' sake who died for me. This is the joy of the God-centered life, that God is our protector. Therefore, we ought to pray, keep me safe, keep me close. God is our provider. We ought to pray, Lord, help me see your provision and to be thankful. God is our teacher. He instructs us. He counsels us. Therefore, we ought to pray, help me listen and obey. And God is our hope. I think we ought to therefore pray, be with me in life and take me to heaven. We maintain this God-centered life. I think there's a lesson in the Psalms for how to do that. One of the things I pre I read the Psalms almost every day. I usually read a Psalm and then someplace else in the Scripture, usually New Testament, but sometimes other places. But the Psalm, Psalms remind me of this relationship with the with this that, that David had, this man after God's heart, to the Lord. And in all of life, in its joys, in its trials, its disappointments, when he didn't know anything to say, but God, why have you done this? I don't understand. Other times when he lifts up praise to God and remembers the greatness and the glory of God. But in all of life, David was constantly turning to the Lord, calling on him, trusting him, seeking him. So we live a God-centered life, maintain that by trusting in Christ, looking to the Lord day after day, calling on him in all of life. The Lord ought to be the sun who gives life and light. 
Our lives ought to revolve around him. My brothers and sisters, seek to maintain that kind of a relationship with him. Ask him to keep you close because we are prone to wander. But he can keep us safe and he can keep us close. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, would you keep us safe? Would you draw us nearer to yourself? Jesus, you came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We didn't seek you first. You came to seek us first. But even now, O oh Savior, keep us from wandering. We are your sheep. Help us to hear your voice. Help us not to go astray. And if we start to, come after us. Seek us. Bring us back. I pray for your blessing on this church, on the pastor and his wife, but on all these brothers and sisters. Would you be gracious and fill them with joy in your presence now and forever. Show them day after day, week after week, the path of life. May they find joy in your presence now, this day, this week ahead, and forevermore. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.